Well, good morning again, everyone. It's great to be back with you. Thank you to Pastor Andrew and Pastor Tim to kind of holding down the fort here while I was I was here two weeks ago, but last week I got the chance to go down and connect with our friends down in Gateway, which was awesome to be able to reconnect down there, and it's great to be back with you today. And Pastor Tim did a great job last week of helping us as we continue to walk through this conversation about the Imago Day and what it means for us to be created in the image of God and what it means for us specifically to then also look to others and say that they are made in the image of God. And one of the things that I think is difficult or can be difficult about this conversation is that when we talk about ourselves being made in the image of God, doesn't it make us feel all warm and fuzzy? Like it's nice, right? It's like, okay, God loves us. I am God's chosen among the creation. He has a specific plan for me. And that makes us feel really, really good. But then we have to attribute that same value to somebody else. And that's where it gets difficult, right? Especially if that person is on the other side of the customer service counter and they're not giving you what you need. And all of a sudden, what's not at the forefront of your mind in that moment is the idea that they are made in the image of God. That's not at the forefront. And so this is, this sometimes, what Pastor Tim talked about this week and what we're going to lean into again a little bit this week is the difficult part of this conversation. And I think that this is also very timely and relevant for where we find ourselves in our culture today. And so I hope that you'll lean in with me. Some of what I'm going to say today is going to resound a little bit with what Pastor Tim talked about last week. So if you are here in the room or you're online and you missed last week, you can go back and listen to Pastor Tim, but I'm going to kind of lean into it again. But we wanted to spend some time on this topic because we think it's very important as we have this conversation about the Imago Day. And so we're going to start our conversation today in Ephesians chapter 2. So you can open your Bible or turn on your phone or whatever you're going to do and follow along, or we're going to put this uh, verses up here on the screen for you so you can engage. And so it's Ephesians 2. We'll read verses 14 to 19, and then we'll stop and kind of have a little bit of a conversation about what we read and see how this might help us understand our context today. So if you we will start in verse 14. It says this, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought his good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from God and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, you are citizens along all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. And so the first place I want to land today is the idea that hostility has no place in God's kingdom. Hostility has no place in God's kingdom. Now let me explain a little bit about what was going on and why Paul wrote these words at the time he wrote them. If we back up in scripture to the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, we would see that the Jews or the nation of Israel were God's chosen people. And so we see that throughout the Old Testament. And the way that God would differentiate 
the Israelites from the rest of the people that they had around them was the law. And so God said, here's a bunch of rules, over 600 of them that you have to follow in order to separate yourselves from the people around you. These rules had everything to do with what you could wear, what you could eat, who you were allowed to hang out with, what you could do on certain days. And so you can imagine if you had 600 rules to follow, that would impact a lot of things throughout your day. And the goal was, again, to separate themselves from other people. And so this was the goal because they were God's chosen people. They weren't supposed to necessarily look like the other people in their culture. But see, what changed was when Jesus showed up, he came to fulfill the law. And so what Paul even tells us here is that the law lost its power. It wasn't about the law anymore. But there, see, when you teach people to do something for like thousands and thousands of years, it's very difficult for them to change course overnight. And so what happened in the very early part of the New Testament, the early part of the church, was you had Jews that continued to kind of hold the line. And they said, we don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. We're not going to lean into that. We're going to stay with our 600 rules and keep away from you people. Okay? Then there were Christians who decided they were going to follow Jesus, and they wanted nothing to do with the 600 rules that the Jews had to follow. So they would kind of stay away from each other. So that was kind of difficult. And then there were Jews that would become Christians, and some of them would say, I'm going to, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I still have to follow all 600 rules in order to be a person of God. Then there were Jews who decided to follow Jesus who would say, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm going to do away with all these 600 rules. It got really messy really quick. And then you throw the Romans in and everybody hated the Romans. So that was just another thing that ever. So there was just all this kind of strife that was going on and all these different ideas of what was right and what was wrong and what you believed and how you did things and whether you followed the rules and whether you didn't. And this was all a part of the early church. And it, it was very messy. And what Paul writes here is that when Jesus came and lived and died, he did away with that hostility. And where we want to land to start our conversation today is that hostility is something that as people of God, as followers of Jesus, if we would identify ourselves as that, means that we are not to have hostility towards people who are image bearers. Because even though not everyone we know as an image bearer is part of God's kingdom yet, everyone is invited to be so. And so when we think about, even in our church context, we should not have hostility towards each other. We shouldn't have hostility to those who might be outside our doors. And we have to figure out exactly what that means. Now, I know there's a yeah, but conversation that might be going on in some of your minds right now. I'm going to come back to that. Okay, see if I can read your minds. But here's the other thing. Hostility exists because of sin. Now, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 for a moment. We did this, we started this uh, early in the series. We talked about Genesis chapter 1, and we talked about how God created all that we see in the world around us, and then he stopped, and he said, I need a reflection of myself in the creation. And so he stops, and he creates Adam and Eve. And when we read the verses about how he created man in his image, actually what it says is, let us create man in our image. And we talked about the idea that What's happening there is the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are each putting their fingerprint on humans as image bearers. And so in community with one another, they create man in their image and they worked together perfectly in that process. And then Adam and Eve are created and they live in perfect community with God. 
There was no sin to speak of. And so they lived in the garden in a perfect setting and, and God would show up and they would have conversations and they would walk and talk. And, and this was great. And then we talked about how in Genesis chapter three, everything changed and sin showed up on the scene. And if we had read, we're not going to go there today, but if you read a little further in Genesis chapter three, what happens is God shows up in the garden and Adam and Eve are hiding, right? Because they know they've done something wrong. And automatically, Adam knows how to throw Eve under the bus. He autom- like God says, what did you do? And he goes, this woman you put here with me, right? It's her fault. You should have known God, right? And hostility to say, it's not my fault, it's their fault, it's not me, it's them, automatically shows up when sin enters the picture. That's how quickly it shows up. And so when we understand what hostility actually is and why it exists, it's because of sin. It's not, it doesn't come from a place that is good or that, is, that God wants us to understand or come from. And so the presence of forgiveness erases hostility. You know, maybe you've had an experience like this. Maybe you had something in a relationship with somebody else. Maybe this was no small thing that just caused a rift between you and the other person. And maybe for years or months or whatever it was, there was just this tension there. And, and maybe you even at some point, you just decided it's better for us just to not talk to each other. Like, let's just, ugh, like, let's just stay away, right? And then maybe something happened where there was a text that came through or an email, or maybe you ran into that person. It was a family function. You just, you couldn't help, but you had to interact with them. And maybe at some point there was an, I'm sorry. There was a, can you forgive me? There was a, I was wrong. There was, here's what I was thinking. There was a conversation. And, and when forgiveness entered the picture, hostility was no longer present. And see, that's what this passage teaches us about what Jesus did. And even what scripture teaches us is that while we were still enemies of God, Jesus was willing to offer forgiveness to remove any hostility from our relationship. And so when Paul writes these words in Ephesians, he says, there shouldn't be any hostility between us as followers of Jesus. There shouldn't be any hostility between us as people that are image bearers of God because no longer are we to live in the space where we have to completely separate ourselves from other people. In fact, what we should do is invite them in. See, there was a very difficult process for someone to become part of the nation of Israel if they wanted to. There were some medical things that people didn't want to get into, okay? And so they stayed away from that. They didn't want it. And so Jesus said, listen, the door is open now. We can reach to other people and welcome them in as part of the kingdom of God. There doesn't need to be this hostility of separation anymore. And so what does that actually look like when we are willing to engage other people as image bearers and in fact welcome them in and see the world around us as a bunch of image bearers instead of seeing each other for our differences. I want to go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is a passage that as I thought about it, I was like, I remember people teaching me a lot about the, or bringing this passage up maybe when I was a kid. I hadn't heard it preached on in a while. So I was like, it's one that you might know, but maybe it's it's been a while since you've heard it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 12. And so maybe you've heard this before, but if not, you can read along with me. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12, says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. 
so it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. We have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we, are, we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, <clears throat> how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. They can The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. And so I want to be, be clear that this passage is talking about the body of Christ. So it's, it's specifically written to those of us who are calling ourselves followers of Jesus already and thinking about how the church as a whole works together. But here's what we know to be true is that you are created in the image of God before you <clears throat> become a follower of Jesus. And so each person that we see around us has different gifts, abilities, things that God has given them as image bearers who are a part of humanity and image bearers as a whole. And what I want us to understand is that our, different, our differences make us whole. In fact, if we were all the same person, it would get really boring, like if a whole body just looked like a foot all the time, right? That's kind of the example that Paul's giving here. We need the differences we see. Now, let me come back to the yeah, but conversation that might have been going through your head a little bit ago, and we're talking about hostility and differences between one another. And the yeah, but conversation might be something like, but there are times when I have to look different than the world, and you are exactly right. That's 100% right. There are times where we have to, as Christ followers, stand up for truth. We have to stand up when our culture goes in the opposite direction and we know that it's not what God teaches. We have to stand up in that moment and say, this is the truth. If we are going to love someone, sometimes we have to look at them if they're making poor decisions and say, because I love you, I'm going to help you understand what God wants for your life. But here's what I really want us to understand. You can be divided on your theology, politics, parenting, schooling, teams, beliefs, and morals, but you cannot refuse to love someone else if you believe they are made in the image of God. We can be divided on our opinions. We can be divided on what we think is right and wrong. We can be divided on many different things. We can be divided on who we think is going to win the Super Bowl next week, right? Trivial things to really big things but we cannot refuse to love other people in spite of it. 
That's the real difficult part. Remember I said this is the difficult part of the sermon series, right? This is the hard part. Because it's very easy for us to want to be around people who look and think and feel like us. And that's not wrong. It's just human nature. But the reality is that we we can't just simply push people away because we believe something different. And the hard part is it is so easy today, easier than any other time in history, to know someone, know someone for what they believe and who they are and categorize them because of one thing you know about them. So you can see somebody online or follow someone or connect with someone that lives halfway around the world through social media, and they may, might make one statement about one political topic or one view on one thing, and we automatically, our tendency, because of what we've been taught, is to say, well, if they believe this, they automatically believe this and this and this and this as well. And without a conversation, without an understanding, without really getting into it and saying, well, why? Why did they believe that? Or why did they say that? Or what have they gone through? Or whatever. And it's just easy for that to be the case. And it's easy for that to be the case for us as well when we say something. For somebody to categorize us because of what we've said. And see, the problem is the second that we stop loving them, we stop reflecting Christ to them. So remember, we go back to this idea. We are supposed to be the reflection or the image of God the likeness of Christ in our culture. And what did Christ do for his enemies? He died for them. He loved them. And when we look at situations like Jesus with the woman at the well, that was not an easy situation for him to step into. Maybe it was because he was God. But like for the disciples, they were really freaked out by that situation. This was not someone he was supposed to be sitting and talking with. This was not someone that he was supposed to be interacting with. And this was not a person who was one of his followers. It was, it was kind of scandalous that he would do this. And yet before they, she was willing to even follow him, he was willing to sit with her and give her the dignity and the understanding and the love of an image bearer because he knew her as an image bearer. And because of the fact that he was loving to her, she was willing to then follow. The same is true for us as we look at other people. We have to be willing to love in order for them to say that they would follow Jesus as well. And our common ground of the image of God should, or the Imago Dei, should cause us to celebrate our differences. See, everybody brings something different to the table. Everybody brings different gifts, abilities, ideas, understandings, thought processes. And I think about, you know, today's Sunday. It's what? 1038 here in Pennsylvania, but around the world at different hours of today, there's going to be different churches that are celebrating the resurrection of Christ. And they're going to be meeting as the body of Christ in a lot of different cultures and a lot of different contexts. And a lot of them would look way different than what this looks like right here. And a lot of them, we would feel really awkward in. Or people would be here and go, what are you guys doing? It would just look different. And those expressions, those ideas of worship, those Places where God is being glorified, even though they look so much different, are still bringing him joy and him worship, even though they look so much different than where we are today. There's three places I want to land um, as we kind of try and put a bow on this and understand what do I do? How do I actually put this into practice today? And there's three questions that go along with it that we can kind of contemplate and think through as we 
think about what this means in our everyday context. The first place I want to, first thing I want to say is, as many colors make a masterpiece. And the question is, are you willing to consider different views than your own? Not are you willing to accept things that aren't true. Not are you willing to say something's true when it's not. Not are you willing to give someone ground when they don't deserve it. The question is, are we willing just to hear them and to think about what they think about a situation or how they handle something? I have a painting I want to put up on the screen for us. Does anyone know the name of this painting? Starry Night. Yeah, that's a pretty easy one, right? So um, this painting, I don't have any severe attachment to this painting. I just think it looks cool. And one of my favorite TV shows is Boy Meets World. And there's a funny scene in, in Boy Meets World that involves Starry Night. So I put Starry Night up here. But here's what I want us to see. There's, there's a bunch of different colors in this painting, right? And in many different locations of this painting, there are textures that are kind of swirled together. There's very few defined lines. There's very few, um, yeah, just like defined areas. It, it kind of just all melds together and swirls together and makes this beautiful picture. Here's what I know would be true. If, if we just picked one of those colors and just spread it over the entire canvas, I don't think it would be called a masterpiece. I think it takes the work of putting the colors together and the swirls together and creating something that we've never seen before in order for it to be a masterpiece. And I think the same is true when we look at the Imago Dei and how we see ourselves in other people. Because I also think that when we think back to when God created Adam and he looked at the creation and he said, it is good. He wasn't just looking at Adam. He was looking at the human race and what would be through Adam that God could see. And the many different representations, colors, places, cultures, all of those things that would be included in that and how that was the picture that he wanted to paint. And so it takes many different colors or many different ideas or many different things to create the masterpiece that we understand as the image of God. And sometimes it's difficult for us because we think the image of God, like, like I said at the very beginning, when we think about the image of God, we think about what we see in the mirror. That's not where the definition is. It has to stretch to other people. The second thing is this. Proximity is a sign of acceptance. And what I mean here is our, our proximity would be the people that we allow into our lives, the people that we allow into our homes, the people that we have sitting around our table, the people that we have having conversations with us. And the question is this. Are we willing to give someone our time and our respect? Or are we willing to give them dignity? Is someone worthy of our time or our respect? I have an example of this, and this might be an example that we disagree on, and that's okay. I will not be hostile toward you. I will still love you if we disagree. But I had, um, uh, back in the summer, I think there was some news that came out, and there were some rules that were being proposed. Um, and so I posted something on my Instagram story about it, and someone from college messaged me back. And I was like, okay, great, like, let's have a conversation about it. I would much rather do it like person-to-person -person conversation and like have it out in Facebook comments. And so we started just having this dialogue. And the rules that I didn't like that were being proposed had to do with not being people not being allowed to build certain types of houses in a certain area where other people already live. And so my friend, who I knew from college, wrote back to me and he said, um, I work in real estate, and here's why this is the case, and here's why this isn't such a terrible thing. He said, 
it's not very fair for somebody who moves into an area who expects their home to increase in value at a certain level, and then somebody moves into town who maybe doesn't have that same income level or the housing isn't worth as much, and yet that house will be considered as a comp for the first person who lived there, and thus it might bring the value down when they get ready to sell. He said this is why this might not be such a bad idea. He said it's not really fair to the first person who lived there. And my response to him in much more words than this was, I still don't like that rule. I'm getting ready to sell my house, right? I'm going to sell my house in Pottstown. We're going to get ready to move here, hopefully over the summer. I want the most amount for my house as I can get, for sure. But I also don't think that I, because I already live on my street, should be able to say who lives down the street from me. Because here's the thing. I know that those of us who are followers of Jesus, when we get to heaven, there's going to be a lot of people who look differently than I do. And in my, when I have my mansion or my place that I live, whatever that looks like, it's not going to be worth any less because of who lives next door to me. And I get it. When we think about who we are here on earth, it's easy to look at a situation like this and say, it's not fair that mine should be worth less. But it's also not fair that we would look at someone else who's an image bearer and say, you can't live on my street or my neighborhood or whatever it might be. I can't imagine a place where Jesus would be okay with that. And so our proximity, who we allow to have our time that we give respect to, it matters. It shows who we are willing to learn from and who we are willing to hear from. And it matters when we think about even our church. We say, who, who would walk in that we would welcome? Pastor Tim talked about um, James chapter 2 last week, where the story happens and there's somebody that walks in and they look really good and they sit right down front, right? Maybe we would do this and we wouldn't do this, but I'm just saying we could try and do it. We would like, here, sit here so everyone on live stream can see you're sitting here too, right? And then someone else would walk in who didn't look so good and we ask them to sit on the floor. And when I read that passage, and I don't want to read anything into Scripture that's not there, but when I read that passage, I think about the context. And we know that there weren't three people in this church service. There were other people around. And I asked myself the question, if I was there and I saw this happening, what would I do? Would I step in and say, no, 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 you don't sit on the floor. You can have my seat. Or you can sit next to me. Or I'll sit on the floor with you. Are we willing to be that person that looks at people that are different, that have all different things, and just say, I want to hear from you, even if I think I so disagree with you. I just want to hear what you have to say and understand where you're coming from. The third thing is this. Be who you were created to be and allow others to do the same. Are we willing to encourage our differences because they more deeply reflect the image of God. So let's go back to the body of Christ or the body that we talked about in Corinthians. We've all got to look different. We all have a different role. And one of the great things that I've figured out here as, we, as I've been here for just a few months at Grace Family is that Pastor Andrew and Mike and I are all very different. Well, in some ways we're really alike, but in some ways we're very different. And one of the great things that we've been able to do 
and that we get to sit and do during the week that you guys don't see is we get to sit together and think about how we best work together and how we lean into each other's strengths to be able to encourage the growth of our church, not just numerically, but as spiritually as well as individuals. How do we get to do that? And we learn how I might be better at one thing than, than those two guys, but those guys are definitely better than me at other things. And so we have to say, hey, let's work as a team and fulfill the role that God has called us to fill here at Grace Family, but also in our faith and in our community and what that means. And so in order to get the full image of God and our understanding of what the image of God is, we personally should be who God has called us to be. Lean into the passions. Lean into the gifting that he has given you. And when someone else comes along and has a different gift or a different passion or a different whatever, we welcome them in and we say, how do we make each other better? How do we become part of the image of God together, specifically in a church setting? How do we fulfill our role as part of the church so that we reach more people and they come to know Jesus? This isn't something that we can do. All of these things we just talked about. It's not something you can kind of flip a switch and just make happen. It has to be a constant reminder each day to see the people around us as image bearers, to treat them as such, no matter the circumstances, no matter how mad they make us, no matter how different they are than us, no matter how much they stand up for one political party or the other, and that's frustrating to us, and whatever that looks like. We have to see them as image bearers and say, how do I continue to love them as such? Showing love to others and understanding others is more important than being right. Showing love and understanding is more important than being right. God will show us who's right in the end. But we need to be loving and understanding to others. And so we come back to this question, or this idea that we've started on with this series, and we kind of keep coming back to it. We can be part of the devastation. We can be part of the restoration. What that means is if we know that we are made in the image of God, we know others are made in the image of God, and we continue to live in a way that ignores that, we attribute to the devastation. We tear people down. We put people in a place that says God, maybe they think God doesn't love them, or they think God hasn't given them value, or we say to them, you're not as valuable to me as somebody else. And that's devastating to people when really the goal is for us to reflect Christ and be part of the restoration that he has brought to our lives. And then people will know Jesus and hopefully they'll choose to follow him because we have valued them the way that he values them. And I hope that we as a church family, we first of all, we value one another and we love one another and we don't have hostility between one another. Because Jesus tells us not to. And we live as forgiven people because we've been forgiven and we can forgive others. And then that love and that understanding as image bearers flows out to the people who are outside of our doors or who might be listening online and they haven't decided to follow Jesus yet. Because they see that we love them no matter the differences. Because we know that Jesus loves them no matter the differences. Let's pray this morning.
Lord, we thank you for this hard truth that you've called us to follow and, and you want us to see others as your image bearers. And it's so easy for us to lean into the idea that image bearers look more like us than they look different than us. And we ask that first and foremost here in our church family, and if you're watching online and you're a part of our church family, that we would love and cherish and encourage one another first. That our response to one another would not be hostility even when we disagree, even when we think something different than somebody else, but that we would be loving and understanding towards them. And we pray that our ultimate goal would be to reflect Christ as forgiven people who forgive other people. And that when they see us as people who reflect you, they would want to follow you as well. Our goal is to reach more people with the gospel. And so we ask that each day this week as we go through situations and we have the opportunity to value others that we would do so, whether it's in our own homes or our schools or work or wherever it is, that we would be ready and willing to value them as image bearers, just as you do. In Jesus' name, amen.